Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, you are joined by, I was going to say the fantastic four of Aussie bodybuilding, but we are one man down today. We've got Jack, we've got DY, we've got myself, DC, but Lawrence is not in the house, man. Uh, what, what's going on here? I think he's become an online coach and then all of a sudden he's just too big for, for BDU. Yeah, I don't think he's anyone's some surprised. Big yeah, he's dropped some big moves, a bit too much work on the uh, plate for him and now look at him job on the podcast 100 he's got a sniff of that cash and he's just like you know what this is just not worth it it's just you know we're on the back burner boys but you know the show has to go on so that is uh that is all good but um before we do actually get into today's episode i want to know whose idea was it to cook me on the lawn mowing advert hey don't touch the canvas that's not me yeah i mean i guess it's between me and me and lawrence but since lawrence isn't here he's the obvious scapegoat isn't it mm. yeah, yeah yeah well you i mean jack you're kind of like so you're scratching at your neck there you're kind of looking looking to <laughs> the side you're, you're looking a little bit suspicious a little bit nervous there man. Well, who, who asked you for the photo initially uh lawrence <laughs> he said hey mate can i get a photo of you mowing the lawn yeah yeah actually no <laughs> no reason why no one asked me for that photo someone must have scrolled into the archives from like 2010 or something like this and picked out a photo of myself uh, i think nicole's in on the heist i think i think nicole might have sold yarrick and he would have just messaged nicole and nicole just gave it over willy-nilly yeah yeah what's the most attractive photo of dc that you can find let's get him <laughs> doing yeah. battle ropes from like 2010 <laughs> i remember i saw him at the gym that day and i was like did we even talk about anything about mowing? And he goes, absolutely not. I was like, yeah, fair. All right. <laughs> I was like, I was like, did we even speak about that? I, I can't even recall us talking about mowing lawns. Yeah. 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 I, I think I'd like, I'd done some check-ins on like the Wednesday morning when the episode got released. And uh, I think I got a message from, from Nicole and she's like, what's, what's this, this lawn mowing thing about? I'm like, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Open up the phone. There's a picture of myself mowing the lawn. I'm like, did we even talk about this? What, what is going we should, on? We should have stitched him up even more and just put his real number in there and said, first mows free. <laughs> Straight up new profession, <laughs> but the boy is at it. But uh, all right, the show the show must go on. Lawrence might join us join us in the middle of today's episode. But uh, I want to do a quick catch up with everyone, and obviously minus Lawrence. But then we wanted to do a BDU Awards twenty twenty three recap, and then obviously jump into some Instagram Q and A questions. So Jack, my man, you've commenced your diet phase. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I'm two weeks deep, and yep. things are things are going along very nicely. So. I've dropped by a little over three kilos, actually. So 91.1 this morning and feeling feeling good, feeling better. Training is is still going very well as expected. Uh, I think legs, for example, they, they usually get a little, uh, like my progression actually increases. Upper body is naturally a little bit harder, but I haven't noticed any, it, it just feels like I'm, more cardiovascularly fit now um, without any sort of negative implication on training. So it's a, it's a win-win. Obviously I'm not in a great env environment to grow muscle though. So uh, which maybe some people who are fresher to lifting, they can sort of mistake, oh, I feel, feel better in a deficit, but you're still not in a prime position to grow muscle, even if your training is going really well. Mm, you mentioned that you often see like an increase in your training performance. You know, obviously a reduction in food or energy availability 
like you couldn't even, we can't even attribute anything associated with nutrition side of things to improvement mm-hmm. in performance. Do you think it's more like mindset now that you're like dieting? It's like, okay, I got to dial everything in. I think, yeah, there could, could definitely be a placebo. I, I haven't necessarily intentionally conditioned myself to be like, okay, it's dieting time. It's pre-prep. It's time to get serious now. Uh, Cause as you guys probably know, I've, it's, I've, I've been serious in the off season regardless. But, Has he d <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was looking at you straight through the camera there. I was like, is he though? Yeah, I don't know. We have to yeah, see just, when it comes to the under the show up, lights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's honestly just feeling more comfortable, even around like my midsection, for example, like on the leg press, just feels a lot more comfortable without like. I mean, I never had a gut, but mm. it's um, it's yeah, uh, can't rebound it out yeah. of the hole, can you? Yeah, exactly. Not the, right. not, not the gut bounce. Mm. <laughs> kind of like a slingshot but for the leg press yeah. mm. no how good no it's exciting mate how long is the the pre-prep phase going to go for i reckon probably six to seven weeks yeah i think we'll get down to like 86 and then maintain slash uh very slow surplus until around april okay and how long is that sort of gain tain quote-unquote phase going to go for how many I reckon, weeks i reckon for? around eight weeks yeah closer to eight two weeks months. Yeah, which is a good amount of time to to bring calories back up. Mm, absolutely. Perhaps just kind of wash away. I almost look at it from as like a washout period, right? You wash out mm. any fatigue that you might have developed through that short, sharp stint of, of dieting. But yeah. I think that pre-prep prep phase is something that's so much more common amongst coaches that are implemented just as a means of, if anything, trying to improve one's starting position prior to the commencement of a prep. Uh, and it's interesting because like a lot of people would look at it and go, well, why are you dieting before the diet? Like you're going to be dieting for six months, seven months already. Like, why would you want to diet beforehand? And I think the way I always rationalize it is it's a means of of trying to get a little bit, if anything, maybe ahead of time so that you've got the ability to slow things down when necessary, such as, you know, refeeds and, and diet breaks. And I feel like there's always that instance of, you know, there's always potentially a little bit more to come off. Uh, in terms of body fat than than we anticipate and it's almost like perhaps having that little bit extra time dieting you know affords you that little bit extra time as well Mm. so no it's exciting mate what about you dy what's going on just on that note as well i do like i try to pretty much nearly put a majority of my pre-prep client of my clients through the pre-prep phase now just because i think it has so much benefit realistically like for jack as a natural athlete how much muscle is he really going to put on in that six week period going into the actual preparation phase but if he's able to remove six to eight kilos of body fat or whatever it might be that he's trying to remove off that's then going to make make the actual calorie deficit probably a lot well the actual like dieting side of things within the prep so much more easier because now he's got another five kilos to play with Mm. now the prep can be a lot shorter maybe he has another you know x amount of that means he might be able to keep the calories up a little higher so you know when you're sacrificing maybe four to six weeks of your gaining to actually doing a little bit of a calorie deficit prior um it then makes the actual preparation phase so much easier and you know you might have been able to make four to six weeks worth of gains but taking four to six weeks in regards to that dieting phase off that actual dieting phase itself might actually net you more than what the gaining phase might have done and not only that as well also makes the prep shorter yeah Yeah, i also think think it from a mental perspective it kind of just gets you into that prep mindset right i mean Mm -hmm. like you you mentioned jack you you try not to sort of adopt that mindset of like oh now i'm you know now i'm serious but I think even if you take your off season as serious as you do your contest prep, I still think that there's that moment of, okay, I'm just about to start prep. Like it's, 
it's kind of that mental, maybe that mental buy-in to the fact that you are going to be dieting at some point, you know, coming up. And it's like, you need to ensure that you're getting your, your habits and you're kind of, you know, dotting the I's, slashing the T's in readiness to actually commence that, that contest prep. And for some people, it may have, you know, mean having to alter their, I guess, their training time, have to try and figure out the best option within the week as to, you know, when is rest days coordinated with, you know, busy work days, et cetera. How do I fit that into my program design? Uh, how do I go, you know, what days of the week do I potentially meal prep? If I do meal prep, you know, what am I meal prepping? It's kind of that time to get everything in order, almost like the ducks in a row, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess. What were you going to mention, Jack? Yeah, just on, on DY's point where the amount of muscle you would save from doing a pre-prep would be, I think, way more than the amount of muscle you would gain in six weeks in, a, in an off-season. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it potentially. Although we still don't really know like how much muscle is actually lost in a prep. Obviously, yeah, it, it depends on depends on how well you execute the prep with the starters. Yeah. yeah, but that also gets to shave off like an extra six weeks worth of dieting as well. So it definitely comes with its pros. And a majority of the time when I do the pre-preps for people, I notice a definite difference amongst individuals that do a pre-prep and don't do a pre-prep in regards to their calories as well. Um, having them going in fully refreshed, like no dieting fatigue, five kilos less than what they would actually have to do the prep at, it does make uh, quite a big difference. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I guess but it's like, it's it's the ideal scenario, right? As a coach, you have someone uh, approach you to, to commence a prep. You've got more than ample time to be able to dedicate a pre-prep phase, start the contest prep, et cetera. But I'm sure you you and, and myself and even Brandon, we've had athletes that have approached us within the timeline and it may not be feasible to actually do a pre-prep. It's like, okay, we kind of need to go straight into the diet condition right now. Like we can't really afford to have that short stint at the beginning to diet kind of gain tain for you know three to four weeks perhaps then you know commence the diet phase um not to say that that's any harder but you know i've i've, I've had people successfully prep and not pre-prep before as well but i think it's just it's just a like i almost look at it from the perspective of it's like the marshalling area you know you're kind of ready for the race to commence and you're marshalling you're getting your head your head right head space right to commence that diet phase uh, it's always nice to have that kind of small space at the, the beginning I'll touch on one more thing before I do my recap, but the other side of it as well is like actually testing out the diet. Like for example, I had one client that I was talking to Jack about where they hadn't dieted for a very, very long period of time. So a good benefit to doing that pre-prep was to actually get them used to actually dieting. If they've had a run of a tremendous off season of 40, 50 weeks, if you go straight into a prep, sometimes going into that calorie deficit hits damn hard. So doing that little pre-prep prior um, made it so much more smoother for the individual because they actually got to test out how they needed to do things. Maybe there might've been certain foods that they needed to have a play around with. Like, you know, maybe they might have their off season food and then they just make it smaller and then they realize, holy shit, if I just go from an extra 40% volume reduced, I am a lot hungrier than what I expected I would have been. And then, you know, then it's hard from the get-go. Then they're sitting there in their heads like, shit, am I actually going to be able to do this? Like these first two weeks are so rough. So actually giving them that pre-prep, give them a little taste of it and be like, this is pretty much what it's going to be like. So, you know, then they can, you know, figure out what they need to do in terms of meal timing and stuff like that to then, then carry over into the actual preparation phase itself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, well said. Well, what about you, mate? How's training? How's nutrition? How's everything? Yeah, man, everything's good. I'm going into a deload this week, um, sitting at around about like 4,000 calories and <laughs> 
damn, I guess I'm now the second heaviest on the podcast. Laters, Jack. Look at this, man. Look at this. Weighing under 92 now, DC. Amateur hour over here. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. So Wait, I'm, baby. It's quality over quantity, though, right? Mm, it's exactly right. Food. Yeah. You got about five kilos more on the legs than me, that's for sure. <laughs> um but yeah i'm sitting around 93 at about 4,000 calories so everything's sitting really nicely i'm gonna run the deload it's been about six hard weeks since um i got back from holidays about five to six weeks um just feeling a little bit a couple of little like niggles coming on so i'm gonna take a deload you know get a massage and stuff this week see where to go from here um and maybe make some alterations to some of these little things that are causing some grief but in regards to the grief it doesn't also affect the training sessions it'll skype kind of like little minor ones that you would expect as you're probably pushing hard for you know a nice solid six weeks of training but other than that everything's good food's high training quality is really good i've got a very smooth runway for about another i would have to guess about another 18 to 20 weeks of gaining hopefully to hit three digits Mm. yeah fantastic mate well i'm i'm kind of in this similar spot to uh to you boys in terms of performance and training like performance and training is 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 top tier at this point in time i put up a physique update on my story uh last week and i'm kind of pushing up towards the well, i'm sitting at the 96s i've had a couple of weigh-ins at the 96 i'm mostly sort of high uh 90 95s in terms of an average there but um yeah performance has been top tier uh, probably the most motivated I've been to train in just a good stint of time. I think when you do something for long enough, you go through kind of dips and valleys in motivation and it's actually totally fine for that to occur. As long as you can still get in there and rip in, regardless of whether that motivation does increase or decrease. But um, yeah, it's been top we'll tier. And again. sorry? Will we see 110 again this this off season, do you think? <laughs> 110 again. No. I hope so. Like, no. you know... <laughs> Get the bucket out. Get the KFC sponsorship. I mean, how much do you boys really want me to out-angle you at the out-angle classic? Because mm. I'll be well, out-angling. will be out-angling us. <laughs> yeah. I must yeah, say, yeah. though, looking damn good for, like, 96. Yeah. That That's definitely the best body comp you've held, like, past 95 kilos by far. Yeah, I definitely think so, and I appreciate that. I think previously when I've started to push in towards the 96, uh, it's, it starts to get really uncomfortable at that point, as, as you boys know. And I think as anyone, anyone knows who pushes their, you know, weight up beyond that kind of comfort point, it's just even in, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror, you're like, ah, okay, this is, how, this is how I'm sitting at the moment, but I accept it. It's part of, you know, the necessary process of making uh, long-term progress as a bodybuilder. I mean, we all have our own individual biases, even as a coach, you know, when we look at ourselves, we still look and go, yeah, look, maybe I do look a little bit better, a bit leaner, et cetera. But certainly at this point, which, you know, sitting where I'm at, this is the best I've looked at, at this weight. So that's usually a pretty good indicator, right? And you look at sort of comparison shots from where I've previously been 96 and, and it's night and day in terms of progress. So Clearly what I'm doing and the work that I'm doing is, is providing, you know, benefit, but um, guys, we've just had uh, another individual join the, the BDU podcast. I was just saying beforehand that uh, the man was, was too big and beyond us. He's become an online coach now. And so the man got a sniff of, uh, of cash and he's just, you know, on his boat. So we've been somehow able to reel him back in and here he is, dear listeners, Lawrence, Lawrence Greaves. How are you? Yeah, I was actually my appointment at um at the Lamborghini dealership uh got moved back this mm. afternoon. And was that Joey's was, recommendation? 
Yeah, yeah. I know. I was just, um, I had my lawyer just renegotiating my contract with bodybuilding down under because, of course, I'm going to need need to be paid for my time now. You know, um, on this online coach lifestyle, I can't just be pissing away an hour and not being paid for it. So, yeah. That All could sort be, of that could be 20 check ins um, for you, Lawrence, in an hour. Sorry? That could be 20 check ins ticked off in an hour for you. Uh, uh, 50 check ins, mate. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, how many times can you type? looks good add five fat keep up the good work in an hour copy paste yeah Straight add up. five fat minus 10 carbs <laughs> and then the inverse the following week perfect exactly mm. cycling and then every now and then you want to throw in you might want to improve upon your sleep for this week full stop yep and sorted so formula uh there you go guys and it's easy you know whenever i get a form video on whatsapp regardless of what it is yep perfect just Tremendous. shift those hips back a bit more and put a D handle on it. Mm. doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> Guy's doing a bicep curl. He's like, what? Yeah. Neutral, neutral spine. Thanks. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, speaking of neutral spine, mate, it's a lovely shirt you've got on there, Jack. Mm. I was just thinking that is an absolutely tremendous yeah. garment that Jack is wearing. I, I did wear it to today and the, um, the bloke at the cash out complimented me on it. So... That was nice. Yeah. What did he say? Is this is he like is that a shirt we sell or no? He actually said, oh, I bet you could lift that shopping bag easily. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Did which he I, call which you I thought was an indirect compliment on the shirt because it complimented, yeah, my physique. At least Jack didn't say he had just finished like washing the car or <laughs> something like that. Mm, mm, exactly right. Well, mate, Lawrence, give us an actual recap. How are we doing, mate? How's training? How's nutrition? Obviously, some very exciting news uh, aligning with with Joey. So give us the, the lowdown, mate. This is exciting. Yeah, mate, very exciting. Um, Joe and I had some, some discussions sort of half-jokingly over in Seattle. And then uh, we both kind of realized that either party was, you know, quite serious about it and that if we wanted to have a discussion about aligning my online coaching with him, then it would be a cool way to grow the the HFS brand and I suppose just streamline a few things as far as like having someone who's a physio on board and, and in that team sort of given us quite a unique skill set within the online coaching world, at least in Australia. So when he presented the opportunity, I mean, yeah, I would have been an absolute fool not to take it. He's one of the most respected and experienced online coaches in Australia. So I feel very privileged and very blessed to have been given the opportunity and yeah I'm, I'm going to be working sort of um alongside underneath joe and obviously he's going to be somewhat of a mentor as well just being able to um, bounce ideas off him but it's pretty at the moment that we sort of have one client where i have been doing his training for a while and joe's been doing his nutrition so we kind of work together on that one but other than that it's all going to be um you know relatively separate in terms of who we take care of and I'm also in the process of getting my Sports Nutrition Australia certification, getting the ball rolling with that. So I'll be able to properly offer nutrition soon as well. And that will be the, the goal is to, you know, I've always said that, you know, I would never be a comp prep coach, but we'll see. We'll see what happens over the years. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be happening for a while, but, you know, if someone that I've been working with for a long time did want to pull the trigger on something like a prep, I think that it would be it would be cool to maybe one day look at taking people through that. Um, mm. But at the moment, I'm just focused on you know building up some good clientele, getting into a good routine with the check-ins, and then 
potentially this year, if I can get busy enough, look to step away from a few hours at the clinic and do a little bit more work from home with coaching. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, it's yeah. awesome, mate. It's very exciting. No, you kind of already got the um, the only qualification you need to be a, a uh, comp prep coach. Well, yeah. yeah, you don't actually need any at all. Nah. Just yeah, the well, first place. I trophy. thought the qualification was you just be jacked and at least do one prep. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, absolutely ideal. But um, mate, as far as like training, nutrition, things are, are humming along. I think I'm in week six at the moment of this training block, and things are just progressing really, really well. I had 200 on the bar for deadlifts today for the first time in a little Oof. bit, so that was nice to hit that round number again. Um, the the number almost as round as my spine as um as I was lifting it off the ground. And then, um, yeah, just everything's progressing really well. Um, calories are sitting at about 250 protein, 500 carb, 80 fat. So eating a decent amount of food. I feel like I've, I've just sort of probably in the last one to two weeks kicked that last little bit of like food focus where I'm not sort of thinking about the next meal as much or, you know, my behaviors around food are probably getting closer to being normal. Um, but I, I think it was a, a really good recovery phase overall, to be honest. Like, I think that it's interesting how even now being like seven-ish or eight weeks, seven and a half, whatever weeks post-show, I feel essentially back to 100% where I can look back on previous preps where it's taken me probably 10 to 12 weeks to get to that point. And then maybe even a bit longer after that to sort of psychologically recover from the prep. And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, enjoying Christmas and enjoying the holiday, you sort of expedite some of those cravings because you're eating all of this like you know amazing food and then you're kind of over it by then so it's just been really easy to get back into the routine and yeah honestly i couldn't be happier with how things are going at the moment so we'll probably aim to push you know obviously finish out this week and potentially get another week in um to finish like seven weeks of productive training and then i'll probably pull the um the deload in the eighth i'm trying to be a little bit more order regulatory with how I do those and just sort of really be a bit more in tune and think, okay, do I actually need this deload? Could I push for another week? I think that's maybe something where I just got so routined to deloading every seventh week. Or maybe, you know, there may be some weeks where I could have pushed more, um, but I still think that you should have a ballpark. So my ballpark is always that six to eight and then, you know, we'll see what happens. With mm. that though, do you find like sometimes you might be like, yeah, you know what? I can take it for that extra week. And then you run into that extra week and it's like first workout and you're like, fuck, what have I done? Normally I, I've done it multiple times. Before. I'm like, well, I'm feeling good. And then go first workout in zero progress across all the yeah. lifts. And I'm like, and then it just hits you a couple of little niggles pop in. You've already committed two workouts in and you're like, all right, I should have ran that deload like I normally do. Yeah, that's all right, mate. They just fill up that vial with a bit of a BPC 157. Straight yeah. glute, happy days, no deload needed. Yeah, exactly. Speed track. Well, I mean, at worst case scenario there, you just run the remainder of the week as the deload, right? Pretty there's, much. There's been situations like that, even even with athletes where it's like, you know, yeah, I feel like maybe I can push this for an extra week. Let's kind of stretch that deload out. And then then I'll get the email like, hey, DC, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's viable for me to keep keep running this training block. Let's uh, let's maybe deload. So it's like, okay, remaining sessions here. Let's Let's run that deload there. But um, alrighty, boys. Well, that is basically our catch up. Everyone's sitting in a in a great spot here. I wanted to move on to the BDU awards for 2023 and basically run a bit of a, a recap there. So I'm going to list each of the awards and the athlete that took out that award there, based on obviously the votes 
of the people. So we had male athlete of the year, which was Mike Waddington. And I'm pretty sure he did pretty damn well over at the INBA Natty Olympia. Am I correct? I think I'm pretty sure he won the pro lineup. So that's, that's a huge, huge win. Absolutely. Yep. So well-deserved, mate. Congratulations. We had female athlete of the year who was Lisa Reed. And we have obviously had Lisa on the potty. That was well-deserved as well. She looked incredible. And uh, obviously Joey being, Joey being the partner and the coach there, who also coincided to have won the People's Champ. Now, I feel as though there might have been some you know, handing of cash under the table here from, from DY and Lawrence. What do you think, Jack? Only makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I hide the Lambos. I planned to rig it so I would win all six categories, and I couldn't even get that across the line. So, mm. if I can't rig it for myself to win, I'm not going to that much effort for you know a guy that I'm about to just flip over and take his business. You know what I mean? He's nothing <laughs> to me. Mm. It's just very interesting that not one of us won any single award like Lawrence you should really pull your head in like there's five that you're up for and there was only one that us three were up for so I don't know I think we did a piss poor job at rigging it I must say yeah it's one of the one of the worst match fixing results I've ever seen just while we're on the topic DY um I'm your coach now because I'm on equal <laughs> terms with um with Joey so if you could be getting seven zingers in by the end of this week that'd be perfect thank mm. you I actually talked to him about it, uh, that pro bono physio work that you're going to be doing now on the team as well, because Ooh, I was actually, I, I was rocking up about 50,000 in just physio bills, massages, you know? So um, I'm excited that now all of that is going to be pretty much bulk built under that payment that I pay Joe each week. <laughs> so I'm excited. We're going to do a program review right after this. We can talk about my whole new training cycle around the uh, injuries and like maybe tee up a massage for tomorrow. Yeah, the day after as well, and every single workout. So um, I reckon I'm, I'm going to be getting a um an electron on stress fracture with the amount of time <laughs> that my elbow is going to spend in DY's upper glute. Yeah, yeah. Probably I heard DY isn't isn't. I think before you were saying that sort of tender point is like right up in like the in the origin of the adductor. Is that correct? That's kind of where you need that release. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that okay, yeah. Lawrence? I, I hope that's that's me. Yeah, I'm a professional. I'll do whatever I need to do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Lawrence literally left the room in New York. I said, this is the best trade deal in the history of trade deals. Joe, we take a cut. Not only that, free bo- pro bono work. Any signs off all clients that are out of practice because he's a physio. It's a win, 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 win. Sounds like it was strategic over here. It was. <laughs> well, uh, moving on to our next award here, we had Rookie of the Year, who was Kira Webb. And I believe amongst other wins, she did win her INBA pro card in the last season, uh, if I'm not correct. Uh, Then we had the most improved, who was Sheena Fitzsimmons. And I believe she won her ICM pro card in season A last year. So congratulations to her. And her INBA card as well. Yeah. Congratulations. Epic. I'm pretty sure she also won the NBA overall as well. So Mm. really did score a nice little trifecta of runs there. Mm, Absolutely. Uh, and then we had our rising star, who was Lockie Denner, who showcased an incredible physique at the A&B and I believe also at the NBA show. So congratulations to, uh, to Lockie and to obviously all of those those athletes. Uh, I think this is just a, a cool way of us kind of giving back to, to the community a little bit. And although it is somewhat, you know, 
popularity vote based. I think it just showcases their tremendous athletes that if you go to votes and despite not perhaps, you know, taking the award out, it still showcases that there's uh, incredibly people out there that are supporting your journey as a bodybuilder. So uh, that's cool to see across the board, but um, let's jump into some of the questions that we've got from our Instagram Q and a first questions that we have here is what determines good versus bad genetics. Let's chuck this over to you. DY. Man, so there's a lot of things, you know, it goes down to like bone structure, you know, the, you know, the sizing of their wrists, their ankles, even their knees, their waist. So there's so many things that go into determining good and bad genetics, but I'm going to touch on one, which was mentioned on the Iron Pod, uh, Iron Culture podcast, which is Natalie Hayes, um, a very good um I guess, example of what really good genetics does with also really, really hard work as well. Like, you know, she was able to get away with pretty much training like six days a week, two times a day, which I don't think nearly anyone I know would be able to ever recover from that amount of training. That's like 12 sessions a week, probably, you know, in total there also adding up to over 20 hours of training. She also ended up a uh, dieting phase on pretty much not touching any lower than 2,900 calories as a female. So like when you have a look at some of like those stats right there that go into like determining good genetics, like she definitely does have the upper echelon of like, you know, genetics. She's also got really good structure as well, really good muscle bellies to be able to go in and win for her first ever season, the Yorton cup, the WMBF universe uh, worlds amateur, and then also the pro lineup. And then also take out Mr. America. She quite literally did the trifecta of shows. That's not to take away from her hard work as well. Like, you know, when you have someone that works that hard, like I could probably safely say there wasn't a single person on that stage from nearly any of the federations that she stood on that would have done more than her. Like how can you outdo 12 training sessions for five years straight um, and, you know, ticking every single box, but there's also a genetic element there to obviously the high calories, the excruciating training. So not only does it come down to like structure, also how much training volume can the hand, the person, you know, handle um, without actually entailing an injury. Cause I could probably say if I was doing 12 sessions a week, I'll be falling apart. I'm already falling apart off five sessions. So I couldn't imagine 12. So, you know, obviously the large majority of things that go into determining good genetics, like I mentioned, but also the calorie side of things, you know, how lean you can get. Some individuals can't get that paper thin skin um, conditioning like you might see on stage um, just from genetics as well, where you see some people like that guy over in the UK that we mentioned on here before. I can't pull up his name exactly where like, you know, six, six, six exactly like six kgs above stage weight and you know has the most insanely shred could probably be one of the most shredded people i've ever seen you know hitting that stage so some people just do really have some upper echelon in genetics in regards to all of these elements um and you know when you get to see all of that put together with extremely hard work you get some tremendous tremendous results and pretty much like what i mentioned natalie hayes there as well tremendous effort to her Mm, no, all, all really uh, good points there. What about uh, you, Lawrence, in terms of perhaps more like muscle architecture and, and things like that? Would you deem that there are certain individuals that have better genetics when it comes to muscle look or muscle insertions, et cetera? Oh, absolutely, mate. Like, you know, it doesn't take a acutely keen eye to just be able to look at some physiques and go, okay, this guy or girl is just nicely put together compared to other people. And some people you can sort of see that their problem is that it's not that the muscle is, you know, lacking visible conditioning or, or lacking size, but they just don't insert very well. Like 
I mean, for as much as I'm not, don't, you don't never want to make excuses, but like, I know that my rear lat spread is never really likely to be a great shot because my lats just don't insert very low. They insert quite high. Now that can look quite good for a front shot, but for a rear shot, you're always going to be sort of playing um, if, against the, the odds there. I think another one that I think is probably under spoken about and DY briefly touched on it is just the ability to tolerate the dieting condition. And I think that, you know, that is something that some people might go, oh, you know, I just can't get that lean. And like realistically, you could probably physiologically push anyone to get to a certain level of conditioning, but it's can you maintain training performance there? Can you still be a decent human being when you're at that level of conditioning? So like Chris Paling and Dirk Emmerich are a great example where, you know, Dirk was talking on Iron Culture. He gets on stage at about 65 kilos. You know, once he's getting to 70, he feels pretty much back to normal. And once he gets to 72, he's really getting uncomfortable and like pushing to 73 is, is very hard for him to do in terms of calories. So it's like, you know, his ability to be very, very lean, um, he doesn't have that much work to get down to, you know, that elite level of conditioning is, is an advantage. And that's a genetic advantage for sure, because, you know, like someone like myself, you know, probably going to get to 12 or 13 kilos quite comfortably above stage weight, um, because I know that's where I'm going to perform very well. And it's interesting that what DY was saying about Chris Paling about only wanting, you know, once he gets six kilos above, he's really struggling. DY said to me in Seattle, you're going to be six kilos above stage weight before we leave this auditorium. No questions asked. And we made it happen. Recovery diet. I mean, it was all wrapped up within probably two or three hours. Perfect. Pure, purely genetics though. Oh, well, mate. And that, you know, that's, that's in someone like me who's, I mean, people want to say Flex really? Wheeler, Phil Heath. And then generally they'll say third best genetics of all time is myself. So yeah. The ability to rebound extremely proficiently within like six kilos within a day, but all in lean mass, it's ridiculous. And that's where Lawrence really does shine is that he's pretty much caught about six, six kilos worth of gains above anyone else before he's even left the auditorium. So huge L to those other guys. You yeah. can't, you can't, don't, don't sell yourself short because the, the plan that you had laid out in terms of the perfect distribution between five guys and also Chipotle with just enough dessert in there. I mean, I couldn't have done it without you. And let's not forget the cheesecake. You exactly. calculated that so precisely. The mm. cheesecake just kind of lines the stomach and just fills those final little bits in the physique and the stomach. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, there, there couldn't be a better combination, and nothing screams, you know, anabolism than than five guys and cheesecake, right? So, it's it's purely mathematics and 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 genetics at that, at that point. Uh, what about in terms of perhaps the more so tolerating like the diet condition from a physiological hunger perspective, Jack? Do you think maybe genetics might play a bit of a role in that token? I mean, I think mindset is a huge component of that, and perhaps just being acclimated to the diet condition, but you know, I have seen some individuals where being at that tail end of 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 uh, conditioning like is so much more of a detriment to one's psychology as it pertains to food focus mm. and managing the, the 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 slumps in 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 motivation and energy than than others. And some people just don't ex experience that extreme level of hunger than than others. Um, yeah. Do you do you have any sort of thoughts in regards to that? Yeah, for sure. I think it could be related to a bunch of different. Uh, hormones like leptin uh, or ghrelin and even something like GLP-1 
and well, like the rate at which someone uh, undergoes gastric emptying. Like there's a bunch of different uh, variables at play there, but also just the the predisposition that someone has for their preoccupation with food, which is essentially their their food focus. So, at, like, is someone we all know people who um whether they're competitors or not like they just have a very high preoccupation with food like that it, it's it's very much centric around their day of when they're going to eat like when they socialize it's always around food and when those sorts of people attempt to comp prep uh, they're naturally i think on a slight step back because they're not that there's anything wrong with being preoccupied with food because it's such a huge part of our society but um, it does make it a bit more difficult and i think whether it's a psychological element or a genetic element or, or a bit of both, like those people who are um, less food focused are, are certainly in a more favorable position from, from that standpoint. Mm, absolutely. No, I think, I think that was, that question was answered really well. Moving on to the second question here, how much cardio is too much and can too much cardio impact an ability or our ability to, you know, build muscle. Let's say we're in a gaining phase you know, at one point is maybe too much cardio at a disadvantage. What do you think, Lawrence? Well, I think that, you know, one thing you probably need to consider is are you needing to get the cardio to a certain point for whatever reason that may be? And is it that starting to have an interference effect with the weight training? Because I think if you've got physique-related goals, then your priority needs to be your resistance training in the gym because those are the things that are going to drive progression in your physique. So, you know, if you're hell-bent on, you know, doing some form of cardio, particularly the more invasive versions like, you know, high-intensity stuff, it might be a very intense swimming session or running or even some like hit cardio on the bike, but it may just take a lot out of you. You know, you have to remember that, everything that you do is going to incur some sort of recovery demand. And if you do want to get the most out of your training, we probably want to be allocating as much of that recovery demand to recovering from our weight training. So even to a certain extent, like if you have an excessively high step count, it could probably have some sort of interference effect. So I would say that if you do want to do some cardio, pick stuff that is going to have as a little interference effect in terms of when you schedule it throughout the week, but also you know, in terms of how much fatigue it's going to create. So for example, you know, is going for a run the best idea the day before legs? Or could you maybe just do a little bit of work on the bike instead? So I think there's better and worse options depending on the goal and depending on the situation. But for someone whose primary goal is hypertrophy, I think we should be looking at sort of the minimum effective dose that we need to perhaps keep us moving to maintain appetite, you know, have a little bit of heart health and general activity throughout the day. Um, but you know, we, we want to prioritize the, the weight training for sure. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think when it comes to, um, oh, I guess this is sort of considered like concurrent training, right. In terms of, uh, the, the amalgamation of both aerobic and, and strength training combined combined. And one thing you mentioned there, which is kind of like a key word, Lawrence, is that interference effect, right. Where it's like strength adaptations are perhaps more anaerobic in nature. And then we look at more, you know, cardio-based exercise, particularly, you know, let's say moderate-based cardio might be more of our sort of, um, you know, slower, slower twitch fibers, uh, aerobic style. So they're sort of adaptations that are like somewhat competing for one another, right? Um, there was actually a meta-analysis done in uh, 2022, so it actually wasn't that long ago, looking at the the concurrent effects of, um, or the effects of concurrent training uh, on type one and type, type two 
uh, muscular hypertrophy. And one of the actual key takeaways in this particular paper is that it seemed like the greatest interference effect came from more uh, more of a, a type of cardio uh, as in running uh, in, in comparison to something like bike riding. So and what the what the sort of study concluded in that notion is that perhaps uh, bike riding is more concentric in nature, which may be less overall fatiguing than something like running, which requires, you know, through various, obviously uh, running has its different uh, uh, points of contact. So you've got like the swimming phase, you've got like the, you know, the, the, the heel down or the toe down phase uh, or stance phase, like through that stance phase is a lot of eccentric loading. So they sort of attributed that to, uh, greater amounts of potential muscle damage and improved recovery demands in association. So, but I think that kind of summarizes it really well there, Lawrence, is that, you know, I guess at the end of the day, if it's impacting your, upon your ability to recover well, uh, and it's potentially negating the the surplus that you might be creating through nutrition via expending, you know, more energy uh, and diverting or partitioning that energy towards the, um, the, the fueling of that training bout, you know, being aerobic based training, probably not ideal for someone who's wanting to, to build, you know, lean tissue. Is that to say doing some cardio in the off season is certainly not like detrimental. I don't think so. Like I think doing some low, low to moderate based cardio, you know, one to two times a week, I don't see there being much detriment, you know, in that whatsoever. Mm. Did you boys have anything to add to that? No, I didn't. I think you boys nailed it pretty oh. much on the head. I think some, I, I would just reinforce what you said and say that's, like a bell curve can often be a good thing to look at to represent that notion of like a certain degree of cardio can be beneficial for, for cardiovascular health and can positively impact resistance training. Cause I think many uh, off season bodybuilders potentially might trick themselves into being like, yeah, I'm uh, I, I don't need to do more cardio. Like I'm cardiovascularly fit. And then they'll have a step count of 5,000 every day and they won't do any additional cardio work on top of that. Um, but I think, yeah, there, there's obviously a sweet spot at the top of the bell curve. But then if you incorporate more cardio on top of that, you just get diminishing returns and then a, a negative interference effect. So for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in in exercise prescription, we often look at that kind of fit principle, right? Which is like frequency, uh, intensity, time and type. So, you know, how often would you prescribe it? What would be the intensity of that? Uh, so frequency, I guess, in that notion would be well, you know, if I include it too much within the week and it's just increasing the total amount of work that I need to do, is that going to impact my recovery if it's incredibly high intensity based cardio? And then just like you mentioned, Lawrence, I've got my leg session tomorrow and I'm, I'm you know, I'm running. Is that really going to be advantageous if I notice a reduction in my training performance tomorrow? Probably not ideal where, you know, strength training is my priority here. So yeah, no, I think we covered that. We've covered that really well. Uh, now I'm going to throw this next question over to you, Jack. When when it comes to uh, dieting uh, and slash competing, do you think there are any negatives associated with being vegetarian or vegan, or perhaps some considerations that you would uh, look at when prescribing to someone who follows those kinds of diets? Yeah, so I think the there definitely are some considerations, and I think naturally you are sort of again on the back foot if you are a, a vegetarian or, or plant based individual for a number of reasons, like one, it, it makes it more difficult to obtain high quality sources of protein. And you potentially need even a little bit more protein to cover the reduced bioavailability of plant based protein as well. And you just have to be strategic to ensure that you get um, a complete protein and enough of the essential amino acids uh, throughout the day. 
So that's one factor and which can either be accomplished through like a strategic supplementation of essential amino acids, maybe with, with each meal or just of course, pairing uh, food sources together um, to reach that uh, complete protein. Like there are some plant-based uh, proteins which are uh, complete protein, but the, the other downside of them is naturally plants that are higher in uh, things that interfere with the absorption of nutrients and for example, just general types of dietary fiber. So that's one consideration. And, and then I think the other main consideration as well is just the difficulty to obtain certain nutrients or essential nutrients uh, that is more readily available in, in animal products. So like vitamin B12, iron, calcium would be the main one. So yeah, nothing that can't be um, overcome with just strategic uh, nutrition and supplementation, but it's certainly like that's the main reason if I could go vegetarian and not have to worry about all that stuff, like I probably would eat a lot less animal products, but the reality is it's, it's a lot more convenient to be an omnivore. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you summarized that really well. I think particularly within let's say an off season where like food is much higher. I think it's, it's much easier to work around some of those considerations or, or perhaps, you know, include those considerations in one's prescription, such as, I guess, if you were looking to get in B vitamins, you could use something like nutritional yeast, uh, you know, as an example, there might, might assist. Um, but I think one of the, I guess, one of the main concerns that I have towards sort of maybe more so the tail end of a condis prep is that as food starts to get, you know, very low, there may have to be times in which certain quantities of, of, uh, foods are reduced in order to reduce calories that may start to, you know, tip into the inc incomplete protein sort of thing here. Right. So uh, I feel like as a product of just food, getting very low through the course of a condis prep, it takes even more consideration to, uh, ensure that we're not starting to tip into that sort of micronutrient deficiency coupled with mm. low HPV style protein within a particular feed, um, but it's like you mentioned, kind of starting on like the back burner a little bit. It's not to say it's impossible. I certainly think uh, athletes can 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 do it incredibly well in terms of their prep. Like for example, I'm sure she wouldn't wouldn't mind me mentioning, but uh, Jess, who I had in the the last season, who won the women's Oceania bodybuilding, she's she's uh, you know vegetarian. So uh, it's certainly not impossible to have a successful prep and hold on to your lean tissue. But I just think it takes a lot more nutritional you know consideration to do it well. I guess. Yeah, I think just the the amount, even for certain foods like tofu, the amount of protein you get for the overall calories is just not very efficient. And when your fat targets 35 grams in prep and you need to get like 30 grams of protein from a particular food source, like, and you can't waste uh, calories on carbs or fats, like you're left with protein powder, essentially, or just very, very efficient food types, which they're, they're less available compared to omnivores. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, that's that's well uh, well summarized. Um, what are some of your go-to prep meals or foods that you would utilize within prep to manage hunger? And uh, would you potentially look at implementing changes upon high day slash refeeds? In other words, do you tend to completely revamp your meal plan and eat different foods on those refeed days? Or do you keep things quite consistent? I'm going to chuck this question over to you, DY. 
All right, I guess we've got a two-part question. Now, what are some of the things that I like to implement within the prep phase? That was the first one, wasn't it, DC? Correct, yeah. Yeah. One that I really like is actual sweet potato. Now, a lot of people, the competitors these days, will always opt for like the spud light. It's like the, it's like the first one they go to, oh, I want chips, so I'm literally going to have spud light. But in my opinion, I've run preps with sweet potato, and I've also run uh, preps with spud light. And if you're going to choose a potato of choice, I nearly always go to spud light. I mean, not spud light, um, <laughs> sweet potato. You have to cut that out. And uh, now the reason behind that is it's slower digesting. Um, and then not only that as well, it's got far more micronutrients than what spud light will have. So now when you're consuming the spud light, I noticed that I would get hungry like immediately after. And it's also like a food volume crutch. So by swapping to the um, sweet potato, I noticed I would stay fuller for a lot longer. I wouldn't um, get really, really hungry. I was also able to get in more micronutrients across my diet. If you aren't getting a large amount of that, considering your calories are probably going to get lower. And a good little alternative to then swap to that once your calories do get lower is pumpkin, something that's somewhat similar. Um, and you can nearly go gram for gram. Um, and, you know, be quite comfortable. So that's probably a little prep hack that I have is the sweet potato is one of my favorites when introducing. It's also one that I strongly suggest to clients, especially as food does get lower, you know, great amount of micronutrients in there. And I feel like you get a very good bang for your buck. And it's also got a good alternative to swap out as you get into the back end of prep. Um, another one I like is oats as well. I never trialed cream of rice last prep. I did for like one day and I wasn't the biggest fan of it. But next time I probably will run the cream of rice. But I do really like oats as well. A little bit slower digesting. And I feel like per calorie as well, you get really good bang for your buck. But at the exact same time, if you go one to one grams with cream of rice, um, you pretty much nearly get the same amount of volume as well per calorie that I've noticed. Cream of rice yeah. is like nowhere near as fibrous though. I know you no, no, know Lawrence will hate this, but no, that's that's my counter to that as well though. Like, you know, for maybe a female that doesn't have a large amount of carbohydrates to play with, um, and you know, might have a little bit more spare fat and you also want to slow down the digestion a little bit, then I probably would opt for the oats. But the cream of rice is also really nice if you know how to play around with it with workout timings, smooth digestion. It also helps, which leads me into the next question, which is like the refeed days. Now, personally, when I reiterate to my clients how I would like them to go about like the refeed days, I actually don't want anything changed realistically at all throughout the meal plan meal plan keep it pretty much like stock standard um and then what i'll maybe get them to do is increase some of the portions that they might have there so if they may be having you know already some white rice i'll be like let's up this white rice from 50 grams to 150 and now maybe let's spread that out over a couple of meals so all i'm doing is pretty much changing the size of one of their meals another thing i also like to do with the high days is slightly reducing the fiber i also found that helped with digestion also stop with like the weight spike alongside that as well i find like sometimes when you go all right here's the high day and they just increase a little bit of everything across their entire meal plan next thing you know their fiber is up 20 grams they've got some GI discomfort they've increased carbohydrates from you know maybe a large amount of fruits and veggies there and it sometimes gets a little bit messy so I normally just be like listen like I don't want fiber any higher than what we're normally consuming on a normal day if anything maybe pull down a little bit of the veggies here and there um, so that way we can keep the rough food volume the exact same um, from day to day so but I don't realistically swap any of the meals at all, just maybe some of the serving sizes of what they're already consuming to make it um, as optimal as possible in terms of digestion. Mm. Mm. I think that was really well summarized. I think keeping the foods quite similar upon a refeed day is such a good strategy to assist in managing food focus because 
you know, we all know what it's like to, to let's say run a weekly refeed and we're on day six, I'm running my refeed tomorrow. And oh my God, I cannot wait for that food tomorrow. Like that, that's going to be there irrespectively. But if I'm completely revamping my entire meal plan, I'm including all these incredibly palatable based foods, then I think it can just make it harder. I almost notice it's like the come down after you have the refeed, the day after is even more intense uh, in terms of hunger, because you've just been so used to consuming, you know, really highly palatable foods. Mm. Whereas if you just keep things relatively similar and just up perhaps the quantities of certain things, that might be a more, you know, appropriate strategy to, to utilize. And it might also just translate to better uh, gastrointestinal comfort because you're just keeping things, you know, consistent. Uh, I know of some athletes that have, uh, and even myself in the past, in my first prep, I almost used the refeed as an excuse to like experiment with foods that I could consume to fit my macros on that day. And I found it, it, it to be a spiral effect. Like it it just makes the, the hunger more intense, the cravings more intense as well. There's something that can really be said for just keeping things nice and consistent and just reducing that decision fatigue associated with, you know, your week of nutrition. Did you boys ever use any of the, like the jelly light or doubling down on like the Coke, no sugar, things like this? Did you guys use strategies like that to assist with hunger? I got, uh, on, the, uh, I got on the cognac noodles, but nothing other than that. But but that's pretty bad to be fair, the cognac. Did you did you use that for like a good portion of your prep or was it oh, just yeah. like one occurrence? Yeah. Probably like a solid six to eight weeks, I'd say. Yeah, I definitely trialed it for, I think I trialed it for a week in my first prep and I quickly got rid of it because mm. like, man, the next I, day- I was already so high that it like an extra 20 grams is like neither here nor there, but- Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not doing that this prep, that's for sure. And I think that's why cream of rice can be useful for some people because um, like if they're already having a lot of plant matter, then they don't really need more oats on top of that. Like they might just benefit from having a lower residue meal. Yeah, absolutely. What about, did you boys did ever use any of the sugar-free jelly or anything like that? Not this time around. I have in previous preps, but not in my last, like obviously I spoke at length in my last prep about minimizing that stuff. And yeah, I would stick to just the, like only uh, like one Pepsi Max on a rest day. I will say though, towards probably the last two or three weeks, more Pepsi Maxes snuck in. You know, it would be a training day. I'd go, you know what, Lawrence, you've earned it. Um, so I, I was definitely like, as I got to the end of the prep, it was probably a little bit more liberal with those things. Um, definitely not on like peak week per se. Um, but throughout the week, probably a little bit more. Um, but I will say like, I didn't go out of my way to really volumize the meals as far as the carb sources. Like there were a few days where I ended up using, um, some of like the potatoes because we had some in the house or we were eating them with that meal. Um, but for the most part, it was really, really similar the whole way through. But I will say that like reflecting back on my contest prep, I wish that I had maybe gone out of my way to perhaps like once a week prepare a meal that was off plan in the sense that I still tracked it and weighed everything, but it was just outside of what I usually eat. And that was only really from like a, a social standpoint, like mainly with Gemma, because I think that just looking back on that, it was maybe somewhat selfish on my part that I wanted to just minimize food focus and just maximize consistency. And I was just eating the same thing every single week, but I probably missed an opportunity to involve her a little bit more and say, Hey, you know, I, I know we can't go out to a restaurant, but you know, every week let's think of something we can make together. 
I know that all things considered, if I have the preparation, I can make it still hit all my macro targets, fiber targets, all of that good stuff. So I think that's probably something I should have done a little bit more. And I think I'll try have slightly more flexibility around that stuff, especially early on in the prep. Um, but for the most part, like the food focus and the hunger um, and general behavior towards food was the best it's ever been. And I attribute a large portion of that to just actually avoiding a lot of those quote unquote diet hacks. Mm, absolutely. Because I almost feel like it gets to a point where there's nothing that's going to satiate you truly, right? Yeah, it doesn't so, matter what you do. You know, it doesn't but matter what you do that. at that point. And it's like, I feel like there becomes a point in prep where people tend to accept that. And maybe it's maybe it's too late. Like maybe it's too late in the prep where they're like, I've been trying to volumize things and dabble with my nutrition for, for like 10, 12 weeks in a row. Oh my God, you know, uh, maybe I was consuming a few BLTs in the mix there, like bites, leaks and, and taste, right? Where, where someone's fiber is up to 100 grams, but they're still hitting macros their fiber targets like 40 well then you're not hitting your macros you're actually eating more calories than what you what you think you are but uh you know i think like there's a point there's a moment where you're just like i can't i can't fix this i'm like unless i've actually increased my calories i've gained some body fat and i've settled back into the off season so i kind of just need to to like fester in with this with this hunger for the moment mm. i think what you mentioned there dc and like it actually reminds me of like almost having that awareness really does help and like the acceptance of, okay, I'm just going to be a bit hungry. And it, it reminds me of a similar conversation that you might have with a patient who's had like persistent pain or chronic pain where, you know, you help them to just accept that, okay, maybe I'm never going to ever be pain free, but that's okay. I can still live a good life. And you actually haven't really done anything to change the, I guess, noxious stimulus that their body is detecting but their outlook towards the pain has improved. So generally their perception of the experience of pain is better. And I think you have to remind yourself that like for as much as there are physical and sometimes even mechanical symptoms of hunger, on the whole, hunger is still driven by other things. You know, it's driven by, you know, our psychology and our perceptions of our situation. And it's affected by things like stress and anxiety and, you know, our mood. So you know, hunger is is a perception per se. So if you can just practice mindfulness and, you know, just, you know, have those little chats with yourself and go, you know what, I'm going to give this 10 minutes, I'm going to chill out. Oh, actually, suddenly it's not so bad. Or have that discussion with yourself of, okay, this is a normal part of prep. There's nothing I can do to stop it at a certain point. I'm just going to live with this. I think that's also a big part of it. You know, it's not just trying to combat it on a physical front, but I think because of how mental hunger can be, I think you also do need to to take it from a mental approach as well. Are you just telling me that's all in my head? Is that what you're trying to say? Mm. Mate, all of this around us, like what's even going on? It's I, I just went an to, illusion. I went to the first physio session and he said, man, honestly, there's nothing we can do. You're going to have SIJ dysfunction for the rest of your life. Now you just got to learn to handle it better. And he just then took my money and off I went. Sounds like he was just trying to get himself out of a groin massage, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I still got that out of it. Come on, don't be silly. <laughs> that was before I even asked any questions. Yeah. Turned around on the massage table. Ooh, you know, I was like, it's an elbow. It's my elbow. <laughs> Shut up. Do as you're told. Uh, how good. Well, uh, I think that is time for the episode to come to an end. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. If you love today's episode, remember to give us a five-star review and we will certainly see you in the next episode.